Welcome to episode 191 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, how would you do things differently on your next backpacking trip? Today, we're talking micro-improvements. Then, on our top five list, we'll share why we prioritize backpacking. Next, if you're looking for a way to bring a game and lighten your load, we have a really fun option for you. And we'll share a hack that will make you rethink toilet paper. All this, and that's about it. Today, on the first 40 miles. One of the most important things that I pack on every single backpacking trip didn't even make it onto that famous 10 essentials list. It's something that I think is like one of the top two essentials. It's moved civilizations forward. It's advanced science. It's advanced art, music. Everything comes down to these two objects, and it's pencil and paper. And the reason that they're so important on every single backpacking trip that I go on is because I use these tools to record my little micro-improvements, you know, what I would do differently on the next trip, how I can improve either physically or improve the gear that I bring or improve the experience. I also take little notes of things that I think would benefit our first 40 milers. So for me, pencil and paper is and essential on every single trip that I go on. You may have heard this quote, the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. So just writing down those little things, you know, those things that you think you'll remember, like, oh, next time I want to remember to pack fill in the blank, or I want to remember not to bring this because I didn't really use it. Or like, next time I'm up here, I want to remember to do this little spur trail. Those little things, those fleeting thoughts in your mind as you're backpacking need to be written down or you'll forget. And writing them down helps you to make those little micro improvements. It can help you to improve your future trips. And I love the idea of micro improvements too. I mean, how many of us at the beginning of the year resolve to lose 10 pounds? The truth is you can't lose 10 pounds. That is physically impossible unless you have a limb amputated. What you're going to be doing is losing grams at a time because that's how we progress in life. These little micro improvements, you can make little tweaks. In an episode a few weeks ago, we asked the question, how would you describe your first backpacking trip? What words would you use? And I was surprised by the number of people who responded on Facebook with words like, horrible or overwhelming (laughs) or um, awful. Uh, And and I thought that was their first backpacking trip. And yet they are listening to a podcast about backpacking. What happened? And I think it's because they realized that uh, there was something to it. Even though that first trip may have been horrible, there was something that they saw in backpacking. And they went out and did it again. And as they kept doing it again and again, they made those little improvements along the way. 
eventually the experience, I guess, becomes somewhat, should I use the word easier? It, it goes a little more smoothly and you start to have more and more margin and capacity for just enjoying being out there. So if you've been on your first backpacking trip and it was awful, <laughs> horrible, I never want to do this again. That's actually good because it means you have room to make these micro improvements. If it started off incredible, amazing, perfect, wonderful, you know, you have all the gear you need, you've seen the mountain that you wanted to see, that's kind of a depressing place <laughs> to be. I mean, it's a little counterintuitive, but, you know, having a, a less than perfect experience actually means you have room to grow. And that's a really exciting place to be at. So whether you use your phone to track these micro improvements that you want to make, or you bring along a pencil and paper, I would encourage you to track these micro improvements on every trip. Write down what you want to improve or what you would want to do differently next time. For today's top five list, we wanted to talk about the top five reasons why we prioritize backpacking. And it's funny because in a recent episode, we talked about how backpacking isn't our life, which is true. Life is our life. But when it comes to doing activities as a family and planning vacations, quite frequently we prioritize backpacking over other opportunities that we could take. And there's a reason for this. There are actually five reasons for this. Oh, five. If you were wondering. Yeah, and the number one reason why we prioritize backpacking over other wonderful options that we have access to in this world. The number one reason is that backpacking is not a once-in-a-lifetime vacation. That's usually the reason someone gives for doing something. Oh, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You can't pass it up. That's right. A cruise around the Mediterranean. A trip to Europe. Maybe even Disneyland. Is that once-in-a-lifetime? Some uh, people go there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think once is probably enough, <laughs> but <laughs> backpacking is not a once-in-a-lifetime vacation. Of course, you'll see things on your trip that may be once-in-a-lifetime. However, it's affordable fun. It's budget-friendly, and you don't have to come home from your backpacking trip feeling financially burdened or fleeced, which is even worse <laughs> when you feel like you did not get your money's worth on that trip. Backpacking can be done over and over again once you have that initial investment of gear. And for us, it allows us to pass on to our kids an activity that they can do at any age. I mean, while they're in college, they'll have the gear. They can find some spot within a few miles of where they live, and they can go out backpacking. It doesn't set them up for this, you know, oh, when I was a kid growing up, I had these amazing trips with my parents. Uh, now I'm on my own. I'm in college. I'm working a part-time job. I'm, or, you know, I'm, I've got a small family that I'm just starting and my career has barely started and I'm not making much money, but I want to do these great events like my parents took me on. No, instead they'll realize, I hope, that uh, backpacking is something they can do anytime at any age because it's not once in a lifetime. They can do it once in a weekend if they want. The number two reason why we prioritize backpacking is that it connects us by disconnecting us. Backpacking is a great way to disconnect from technology, which this concept wasn't even really a thing when Josh and I were kids. 
I mean, your parents probably, and my parents were like, get off the TV. It'll wreck your eyes. Go get outside. Right. Or don't be on the phone too long. I, that was more of a girl thing. I didn't have a problem <laughs> being on the phone too long, but, <laughs> but they didn't really use the word disconnect. Yeah, that is definitely a current theme. And one of the ways that backpacking really connects us both to our family and to nature is that you get quality time and quantity time. I know people kind of debate which is more important, quantity time or quality time. Well, the truth is both. But of the two, actually quantity is more important hmm. when it comes to human relationships. So the more time you spend with someone in a relationship, the better, as opposed to highly scheduling or, or curating how you spend that time. With exactly. Them. And when we spend time together, whether it's with your family or with friends, you work together, you discover together, you have this unique world that you're in that's different from the walls that you live in at home. And disconnecting from devices and social media is becoming a lot more challenging in recent years, backpacking has been an automatic disconnect for everyone because you go outside of cell phone range and it's like we love having that forced disconnect because where we may lack self-control, nature takes over and we just don't have a connection to a cell tower. That's going to change and it is changing and more and more spots now have cell service. That means that we're going to have to voluntarily disconnect. We're going to have to voluntarily put our phones on backpacking mode. Wouldn't that be cool to replace a little airplane <laughs> with a backpack? I love and it. I'm in backpacking mode. So we're going to have to choose that. <laughs> Otherwise, before too long, we will continue to be connected all the time. And I think that disconnect is valuable. The number three reason why we prioritize backpacking is that it is simple fun with trees and sticks and rocks. This is one of my favorite things on this list. That's one of the reasons I really love backpacking is because I can just go out there and everything is unscheduled and unstructured and just be there. I love that aspect of backpacking. And other trips that we go on, yeah, there's all this planning and scheduling. And, and for backpacking, there is some of that. You got to get to the trailhead. You got to have a plan of how many miles you're going to put in and where your campsites are going to be. Although on some trails, it doesn't matter. There's a campsite every mile. You just pick one. But other trips that we take, oftentimes there's a lot of logistics to take care of. Like that trip we took last summer where we hit Arizona, Mexico, and New Mexico. <laughs> um, there was a lot of logistics, a lot of itinerary stuff that had to go into that trip. A lot of advanced purchases, reservations, everything else. Contrast that with the, the week that we spent on the Metolius River for spring break. Well... I had to know where the trailhead was, and I looked at the map and found a campsite. That was about it. Then we got there and just enjoyed the next two nights, three days with that simple fun. And like, I'm thinking back to the fun that we had on that trip. It really does come down to trees, sticks, and rocks. It does. <laughs> I mean, the boys climbed that huge rock, and we spent a lot of time around the fire. And then I remember playing a game with our youngest where we stacked up sticks kind of Jenga style or a Yeah, like a reverse style. Jenga game. Yeah. So it was just fun. And if you're trying to explain this to someone else, why backpacking is so fun, of course, it's the miles, you know, getting to a location and seeing the view, seeing what's around you, being in a different place. 
but a lot of the fun really does come down to sticks and rocks. The number four reason why we prioritize backpacking is that once you have the basic gear, all trails are open to you. You know, it's like discovering a new band and binging on that one album because you're just like, oh, this is the greatest band. And then finding out that they have like 30 other albums that you've never heard before. Like, I'm a fan of Chicago. I love their music. I think it's just so fun. I love the brass. I love everything. My boys found this old vinyl at a thrift shop of a Chicago album that I had never heard before. It was kind of experimental stuff, but I was like, what? This is that same band? That's so cool. So that's kind of how the trails are. You know, your first trail is always going to hold a special place in your heart. It's going to be a trail that you remember fondly. But once you've done that first backpacking trip, all the other trails are open to you. You know that saying about giving a man a fish versus teaching him how to fish? I I think I've got the equivalent saying. It is pay for a hotel and you'll sleep for a night. Pay for a fill in the blank, like a sleeping bag, and you'll sleep for a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? There's that upfront investment and then you've got it and you can use it over and over. And the trails are all open to you. That's the great thing about backpacking is you have this world of adventure that's open to you. The number five reason why we prioritize backpacking is that it is for all ages. There's really no magic window like there is with other vacations. Like some people say, oh, you've got to take your kids to Disneyland between this age and this age because once they're past a certain age, it's not magical anymore. Or if it's before this age, then they won't remember all the money that you spent on your trip to <laughs> Disneyland. Although there, there's a teeny bit of a magic window with backpacking. I would say post-diaper age is probably more convenient than taking pre-diaper kids. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, we didn't backpack when our kids were that young, so I don't know what it would have been like. I know there are people out there that do it with young kids. Yeah, there are. It's totally possible. But perhaps a little extra bit of a challenge there. Yeah, and the pack it out challenge for sure. But as we talked about in a recent episode, you're never too old to backpack either. So if you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, it's not too late. It requires a little bit of a a shift in maybe how you approach backpacking, but it's never too late to start backpacking. So we can do backpacking with our kids at the stage that we're in now in our family. And when the kids are all grown up and gone, the two of us can continue to use backpacking as a vacation. And who knows, someday, maybe it'll be two of us plus some grandkids. I don't know. But at any age, we'll be able to use backpacking as a vacation. So while backpacking isn't the only vacation that our family does, it seems to be the one that we can turn to without a lot of planning, without a lot of cost, because we already have the equipment. It's one that we enjoy doing together. It connects us. It's really simple. We have so many options of different trails that we can take, and it's something our whole family can do together. For today's Summit Gear Review, Pack-O-Games by Perplexed. We've been talking about games off and on over the last few episodes because it's one of my kicks. Because it's just one of those things I decided I wanted to explore a little bit. You know, a lot of people bring a pack of cards on a backpacking trip 
or they'll bring a couple dice or they'll load games onto their phone that they want to play. But I discovered this world of games called micro games. And we found this company that makes games that are the size of a pack of gum. Literally, each of the pack o games has only 30 cards. And it's actually pretty surprising what you can do with only 30 cards. And if you look up Paco Games or if you go to perplexed.com, you're going to find a whole bunch of games. But there are four games from Perplexed that play really well on backpacking trips. Two of the games can be played without a table, which is really great for backpacking. And then the other two need a little bit of table space or they could even work on top of a uh, sleeping pad or sleeping bag. For mass, each of the games come in at 0.9 ounces or 25 grams. For maintenance, they all come in a little tuck box, but you'll probably want to keep them in a zip-top plastic bag. For investment, each game can be found on Amazon for between $7 to $9. So now into trial. We haven't played all of them, but we've played two of them. The ones that we played are SHH or SHH. That's a two to four player game. It works really well as a two player game, which is how we played it. Um, And we've also played Lie, which I love lying games. (laughs) They're so fun. And I think I do really well at lying games, actually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what that says about me. It's, It's a bluffing game. And this one is good for two to six players. The other two games are Spy and Rum. Spy is a two to four player game and Rum is also a two to four player game. So I want to talk about the two games that we did play because we had a lot of fun with these games. Shh is a cooperative spelling game. And what you're trying to do is spell words together, but you can't talk to each other. You can't say, oh, uh, I'm trying to spell liquidate. Can you put down a (laughs) Q there? Because I have a U. Anyway, the way you play it is you split up the alphabet. You randomly deal out the alphabet to each player and then you begin spelling a word. Now, this game has 30 cards, you said. So each letter, that would make 26 cards. And then there's these pass cards so that uh, if you just don't have anything that you can play as the next letter, you can play a pass. But you only get, what, two pass cards? Two for you, two for me. Or you could say four for the team. Yeah. But anyway, that means there's only one of each vowel in this deck. So you're going to run into some limitations, and that's good to keep in mind. You're never going to be able to spell a word with two E's. And you can't repeat any of the consonants in a word either. Right. But you can reuse the vowel in another word. Once you're done spelling that word, you take the vowels out, and you can reuse them in the next word. So you're not trying to spell the longest word possible. You're trying to use up as many of your cards as you can in spelling words together. So the consonants cannot be reused, but the vowels can be reused as you spell out each new word. And the goal is to use up all of the consonants in your hand and get a performance rating of 26. That's like the perfect score. And then 21 to 25 is phenomenal. 11 to 20 is proficient and 0 to 10 is poor. You don't want to be there. Anyway, it's a really simple, fun word game that can be played on top of a sleeping bag or a sleeping pad. And uh, it takes about five to ten minutes to play. And one thing I want to note about these cards is they are plastic coated and pretty durable. They're not flimsy little cards. So I think this is something you really could take backpacking and play on the dirt and it would be fine. The next game that we played is Lie. 
So to play lie, you put all the cards down, kind of in a big pile, face down, on your sleeping bag, and you draw five random cards for the first round. So there's a picture of a die on each end of the card, and they have different numbers on them. So what you're doing is you're looking at your hand, and you're trying to put together a hand that you can bluff with. So I'm looking for pairs or three of a kind or really high values that I can bluff with. So to play the game, what you're doing is you're trying to convince the other person that you have something really great in your hand, but you're going back and forth, kind of one-upping each other. So I would start off by saying, I have two ones. And I might respond by saying, I have three ones. And then the interesting wrinkle here is that I'm actually claiming that there are three ones between the two of us. So I don't have to believe that he has three ones in his hand because he only has five cards. The chances of that probably not going to happen with just five cards. But between the two of us, yeah, it's pretty likely, especially since I declared that I have two ones. Yeah, so my claim is built on your claim. If you claimed that there are two ones between the two of us, but you know in your own hand that you have no ones at all, and then I up the ante by saying, oh, there's three ones, then you're thinking, okay, I know that I don't have any. I was just bluffing. And that means he's followed my bluff, but I have information he doesn't have. <laughs> so this is a good solid bluffing game where you can look for tells in your partner and uh, kind of push your luck a little bit. Now, after three ones, where would you go from there? You can go to four ones, or would you have to go to three of a higher number? So you can't reduce the quantity of what you bid. You have to keep upping the ante, which is stressful. Have fun! <laughs> so you have to increase either the die number or the quantity, and you can't reduce either one as you go through the bidding. Okay, so you left it at three ones. Right. Okay, I'm going to say three sixes. Okay. And I'm going to look at my hand, and at this point, I could say four sixes, but instead, I'm going to call you a liar. What? And challenge you. Because I happen to know that I don't hold any sixes. Ah. So I'm thinking it's unlikely that you have three sixes. However, you may have three sixes. Think again, Mr. Legler. Oh, three sixes. I have three sixes. So you win, I lose. And I wasn't bluffing. See, the reason I'm good at these bluffing games is because I tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and if I had bid four sixes... I would have uh, believed you, you. Yeah, you probably would have believed me because you knew you had three of them. Right. <laughs> so it is a fun game. It's super simple. Most of it happens in your hand, which is great. Uh, great for backpacking. The other two games we haven't played yet are Rum and Spy. One of the cool things about these little decks of cards is it will say on the side kind of what the challenge level is. So the two ones that we played are both intermediate. And the two that we haven't played, Rum, that one's also intermediate, and Spy is challenging. So if you're looking for something a little bit harder, Spy would be a good option. And also Spy can be played without a table. So these games from Pack-O Games, or Perplexed is the parent company, are lightweight they're small, they're super easy to learn, they're fun to play, they're replayable, they're perfectly backpackable, 25 grams of legal, family-friendly entertainment, and totally worth the wait. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, counterintuitive toilet paper. 
When people forget toilet paper or when they're trying to use nature's toilet paper, like a soft leaf, they're usually looking for something around them that mimics toilet paper. You know, something like uh, that lamb's ear that shows yeah, up a lot nice in nature. Yeah, nice and soft. Right, nature's charmin. <laughs> but, no pun intended, but <laughs> I've heard that you can use a smooth rock and then go in for the final cleanup with toilet paper if you need to. I got this idea from Andrew Skirka, who did a great little video, a pretty detailed video about using the bathroom in the backcountry. But I love this idea of using a smooth rock because the truth is when you use pine cones and leaves, they always leave a trace behind, if you know what I mean. They sort of disintegrate or they have dirt on them. Or, right. Yeah. But just picking up a smooth, clean rock, that can do it. Do it enough hmm. to uh, at least make a good, clean first pass. First pass. <laughs> and then if you need to, you can use a little extra toilet paper at the end. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that was information that was worth sharing, but I just thought it was really cool. No, I mean, I hadn't ever thought of it. You're always looking for something soft. Right. And it never crossed my mind to look for the hardest thing you could find. Exactly. As long as it's smooth, <laughs> that'll work. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Vincent Van Gogh. He said, Great things are not done by impulse, but by a series of small things brought together. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you're looking for fun backpacking books and merch, check out thefirst40miles.com slash shop. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Today on the first 40 mile, <laughs> so if you're in your 40s, 50s, sorry, 40s, no, 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 we're in our 40s, it's not too old, shh, <laughs> I'm just going to call it SHH, because it sounds so weird to be shushing you, but anyway, the SHH game, <laughs>